Israel's returning Messiah. Now, you may say, wait, 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 wait a second. Didn't we just do Acts last week? Doesn't Romans follow the book of Acts? Well, according to the canon, yes. But chronologically, and that's how we're studying the Word of God in this study, it would be the book of James comes next. James is one of the earliest of the books that were written during that period of time, during the early Acts period of time, and we're going to show that this morning. The Pentecostal powers, the Pentecostal influence was still in effect during that time. The Pentecostal powers still prevailed during this period of time. James, who is the author of the book of James, was not the Apostle James because by this time that James has been beheaded. He's been killed. This James is the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Chapter 13. Matthew, you'll look at Matthew 10 here in a little bit, but Matthew 13. Verse 55. Matthew 13, verse 55. Let's start with verse 54. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in the synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? So here they're acknowledging that the Lord had half-brothers and half-sisters. Look at John 2. Look at John chapter 2, verse 12. You say, well, why is this important? I'm going to tell you in just a second. John chapter 2, look at verse 12. And this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifest forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. And after this he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples and they continued there not many days. Look at John chapter 7. Verse 5. John 7, verse 5. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Now, I emphasize all of this for a very important reason. I want to make sure that you understand that we do not deify Mary. Mary was a virgin when she conceived, but she is not the queen of heaven. Mary did not stay a virgin 
after the birth of Christ. The whole purpose of deifying Mary was to introduce Christianity to the pagan uh, nations around to make sure they understood who Isis was and all the different pagan goddesses, Ishtar and all, so they would be more receptive. What we need to understand as we go through this study is that the Lord Jesus had half-brothers and half-sisters, and Joseph was their father. And understanding this enables us to understand that the Lord Jesus was so very unique. Amen? In his virgin birth. So this morning we're not going to take the book of, uh, book of James in the order of the canon. We're going to look at it chronologically. And why this is important is so that we understand why we rightly divide the word of truth. And this falls under that category of rightly dividing the truth of God. Next week, we're going to look at the book of Jude. And after that, eventually, because we're coming into the Christmas season, so we're going to be looking at some messages concerning Christmas. So we're going to interrupt this study. But we're going to do Jude. We're going to do First and Second Peter during this time. We're going to do the book of Hebrews during this time. And lo and behold, we're going to do the book of Revelation. And make sure you understand, it fits within this early time frame of early Acts. These general epistles fit in this early time frame as if you want to study the book of James, you study it in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Because that's what this is all about. It is closely related to the Sermon on the Mount. It has everything to, to do with his ministry, talking about James, to the circumcision, talking about the kingdom uh, gospel to the Jews, and you read it in light of the day of the Lord, which early Acts was talking about, the tribulation, the kingdom that they were hoping in. This is when how the book of James makes sense. If you try to study, if you try to read the book of James, who is all about Israel's returning Messiah, if you try to read it and make it fit with the Pauline epistles, if you try to make it overlap, if you try to make it co coincide, if you try to make it blend with the Pauline epistles, you're going to cause chaos and confusion. But when you look at the book of James where it properly fits, it makes all the sense in the world. And we're going to be looking at some of those scriptures here in just a little bit. As a matter of fact, I think the book of James was written after Acts 8.1, and I'm going to tell you why in just a second, and before Acts 15, and I'm going to tell you why in just a second. That's, when, that's where the book of James fits in, but also First and Second Peter and Jude to understand all of that. But the book of James is all about Israel's returning Messiah. Turn with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. 
Let's look at verse 7. James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman, the husband, husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receives the early and latter rain. Be also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draws nigh. They were entering the tribulation period. That's exactly what Peter had talked about in Acts chapter 2. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Everything that Joel talked about was the tribulation. They were entering into that period of time. This James that was an elder in the church in Jerusalem, not an apostle, but an elder, he was fortifying that. He was supporting that. He was preaching during that time to the circumcision, making sure they understood what the kingdom hope was. The nation of Israel's hope, their promises, all concerned an earthly kingdom where Christ Jesus, what was promised to them as a nation, was a king to sit on his throne in Jerusalem and all the blessings that were to be bestowed and poured out on the nation of Israel. And as those blessings just mounted and mounted and poured out in proof and signs of who the Messiah was, those blessings would then overflow onto the Gentiles. That was all according to Scripture. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Be patient. Wait for the coming of the Lord. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is all about the, the Beatitudes, Christ's teaching on the mount. Matthew chapter, I tell you what, let's start with chapter 4, Tim. I think chapter 4, look at verse 23. This is the Lord Jesus ministering in Galilee. And all this is so important to understand what's happening in the book of James. Because if you do a proper study of the book of James, if you're honest with the book of James, you'll understand that a vastly different gospel, a vastly different plan of salvation is being presented. And to try to make that jive with this present dispensation, to try to make that, what James says, jive with what we know from the Pauline epistles is a train wreck. That's the bottom line. So, Matthew chapter 4. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. So the Lord Jesus was going throughout the country preaching the good news of the kingdom. As a matter of fact, in the few verses right before that, verse 17, he went and told the nation of Israel, he was telling those that were listening, preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 6, he had taught the disciples to pray specifically, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
they understood that their blessings were tied to the land. The Abrahamic covenant to them was tied to the, to the land, just as the Davidic covenant was tied to the throne. And then blessings that were to come upon the nation of Israel. So he's talking about the good news of the kingdom. That's the expectation here. Chapter 5, verse 1. As he's teaching the gospel of the kingdom, and I'm going to show you the difference here in a second. And seeing the multitudes, he went up unto a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for, th- for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Listen, buddy of Christ, one of the things we know from the Pauline epistles, that our hope, our calling, our position is seated where? In the heavenlies. That's where our citizenship is. Israel's hope is to inherit the earth. That's what, that's what these Beatitudes are all about. Our hope is seated in the heavenlies with the Lord Jesus Christ. So blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven that they had already prayed, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what that was all about. Keep this in mind. The church, the body of Christ, which you are part of, was still a mystery, was still hidden God, had not been revealed. The chief of sinners had not been saved. God was still dealing with the nation of Israel. The offer was still going out to Israel to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And had they done that, they would have become priest of God, and that's their job during the kingdom. Look at verse 10. Talk about the tribulation period. Read this in light of the tribulation and the day of the Lord. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden underfoot of men. For you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. 
For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Wherefore, therefore, wherefore, therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, but whosoever shall be and teach them the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, unless your works demonstrate your faith, unless your works are approved of God, you're not in good standing with God. Verse 21 Ye have heard that it was said by them of old, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill be in danger of judgment. He goes on to say, If you hate your enemy, you've done the same. Matthew chapter 5 is all about the Beatitudes. It's all about the kingdom of heaven. It's all about that righteous standing on earth. Guess what the book of James is all about? The same material. The same study. Now, go to James chapter 2. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to point it out according to God's Word. Look at James chapter 2, starting with verse 5. By the way, when Christ was teaching them there in Matthew chapter 4, He'd go to them, He'd go to the synagogue Here in James, James is going to the synagogue. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. For if therefore come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and if you have respect to him, he, he talks about that. The word assembly there is the exact same Greek word. It is actually synagogue. So where James, what he was referring to was a synagogue. But look at verse 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? Just go back to Matthew 5, 5. That's what he's talking about. But you have despised the poor. Did not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called? If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You do well. You obey the royal law. You do well. By the way, he was quoting Leviticus 19.18. If you obey the law, thumbs up. You don't obey the law, thumbs down. But the Apostle Paul comes along and says, You're not under the law. You're under grace. Verse 10, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. That's pretty incredible. That's pretty frightening. That's pretty concerning if you're under the law. Hope, if you're under grace, you bow before him and you say, thank you. Thank you for your mercy. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Isn't it just what we were talking about in James 5? I didn't read all the way down, but that's what that was getting into. 
For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if you commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoice against judgment. Uh, talk about the millennial kingdom. Talk about authority that the apostles are going to have during that time. That's what James, during the tribulation, during the millennial kingdom, this fits that scenario in what's going on during this time. We'll get into verse 14 in just a second. The book of James Jewish in character. Uh, Luther, Martin Luther, he's wrong. It is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. It's like every book, there are principles that we apply. There are truths that we embrace. As you go through the book of, of James, when it talks about wisdom, when it talks about life being a vapor, let me tell you, that's, that's so true. It talks about the tongue and the danger of the tongue. All of those are true. The book of James belongs in the canon. It is the Word of God, but it is absolutely imperative that you stick it, you put it right where it needs to go concerning the truth of the kingdom of heaven. And again, distinctly Jewish in character. It's in harmony with Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6, and it's all about the coming of Israel's Messiah and for them to get ready and be faithful. Well, if James is to Israel like you say, preacher, why didn't he say so? Right? Boy, that would have just ended the debate altogether. Had James said that he was writing to Israel, end of debate. Look at James 1.1. 1, 1. Look at James 1.1. 1, 1. Because I could see on some of your faces you're going, huh? I'm not sure about this. And then I could see on some of your faces, yeah, yeah, right on, right on. James 1.1, 1, 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. To the twelve tribes that are scattered, look at Acts chapter 1, I'm, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death, uh, uh, talking about Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, the kingdom church. The church, the body of Christ, was not in existence. The first member of that was in chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus. But this is the kingdom ecclesia, the kingdom assembly, the kingdom called out ones against the church which was at Jerusalem, 
they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. This is who James is talking to, those that were scattered. You know who else talks to those that were scattered? Peter. Peter addresses these same people that are scattered. Look at uh, Acts 15. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. Underline only. There was a reason they'd been told not to go to the Gentiles or Samaritans. There's a reason for all of that, because the kingdom had been offered to Israel. Do they reject? Do they accept? Well, we know what they did is they stoned Stephen. That's trend. The book, the book of Acts is a transition period, and all of these events, all of these happenings are taking place. James fits the first part of the book of Acts precisely with his message being the brother of Christ looking for the kingdom looking for it to be established looking for his the Lord Jesus return and to establish his kingdom that hope of Israel all of that was going out going forward as a matter of fact James agreed he agreed to contain his ministry to restrict his ministry to the Jews only. So, I think he was a man of his word. He was keeping his message to the Jews only. You say, well, where, where did he agree to that? Look at Galatians. Remember there was a group of Judaizers who were coming up from Jerusalem to Antioch and to other places, and they were coming into the, the churches that had been established in parts of Asia there, and they were coming up and they were saying, hey, you got to be baptized, you got to be circumcised, you got to obey the law of Moses, you got to, you got to, you got to. And Paul grabs Titus and he says, there's enough of that. I got to get down and tell them cease and desist. And so you can read about it in Acts 15, but you can also, Acts 15 is the historical account of it. And it, there James tells that council at Jerusalem, those kingdom believers, those kingdom hopers. And remember, it was to the, the apostles, they stayed there. Paul goes down, and after James hears from Paul, he says, my sentence is, verifying that he was pretty much in control at that time. Peter had already done what he was supposed to do with the keys of the kingdom, and had offered the, the kingdom to Israel. We already know what Israel had done. They had rejected the stoning of Stephen. All of that is in place, so now the one that's kind of ruling the roost, 
The one that is sort of in charge is James. And you know that by him saying, my sentence is, my declaration, my orders are. Well, look at Galatians 2. It's from Paul's perspective of what took place. Verse 6 of, Acts cha uh, of Galatians chapter 2, basically, Paul says when he went down and talked to them, they added nothing to him. But he preached that gospel, verse 2, that gospel which I communi communicated to them, that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, that gospel, his gospel, the one he called my gospel, that's what he communicated and he said, when he went down, they did not say anything to Paul about what he was preaching. They finally said, okay, okay, just uh, flee fornication. Well, okay. Um, uh, don't don't uh, eat any blood. Okay. Now, how many of you are planning on having a hamburger after church today? I'd say 90% of you are going to go and eat something with blood in it here in just a little while. That kind of tells you we're not under the law, we're under grace. Paul agreed because he did not want to be offensive because later on Paul is going to tell the church in Corinth, it's okay. It's okay. I mean mixed messages, you're being, you're getting clarification of what's going on here. But look at verse 7 of Galatians chapter 3, or 2. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcision was to Peter, for he that it wrought effectively in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James and Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go into the Gentiles and they unto the circumcision. Only if they said, remember the poor and the same which I also, I, I was wanting to do anyway. It's in Acts we, we find that James says, we told him not to do this and this and this. Here Paul just says to remember the poor, and he says, I was going to do that anyway. Paul talks about the gospel of the circumcision and the gospel of the uncircumcision. Folks, if you don't hear anything else I say this, this morning, understand that that little preposition of is absolutely necessary to understand what's going on here. It was not them agreeing, Paul, you take the gospel to the Gentiles, and we're going to take the gospel to the Jews. It's not what it was saying. It was not to, it was of. Paul, you're responsible. You're, you're the one. of God that Paul talks about in Acts chapter 20. Peter, James, and John, and the apostles, they all committed to continuing with the gospel of the circumcision. 
that good news of the circumcision which had to do with the kingdom on earth. Paul's gospel of the uncircumcision had to do with God's offer to salvation to all who believe. There was never a time when the church became spiritual Israel. So James agreed to contain his ministry. The gospel of circumcision with all the blessings promised to Israel and the, the promises of the kingdom is there's going to be perfect peace, there's going to be perfect government, the desert's going to bloom, the animal kingdom is going uh, to be subdued. Oh, you, you read about all the promises. It's just phenomenal. The fulfillment of the covenant to Abraham concerning the land, the covenant relationship with David concerning the throne, all that's going to be realized. But understand this. Understand this. The importance, the importance of the kingdom being offered to Israel with Peter being able to use those keys to the kingdom to unlock that offer could only be done when the king, God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, had died on a cross, was buried, and rose again. That, was, that had to take place in order for that kingdom to be offered. The lamb had to be slain. The resurrection had to take place. That was an aspect of the kingdom that was absolutely true. But what was a mystery, what was hid in God, which is so glorious that there was something hid in God, that He was going to offer grace to all who believe by faith to Jew and Gentile, based on what? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. The basis of the kingdom offer, Israel, here's your Messiah. Israel, He died for you. Israel, He's resurrected, and He's ready to come back. Believe that He's the true Messiah. Israel, will you believe? We will not have this man to reign over us. Judgment could have fallen and God would have had every right to do so. The tribulation could have started in earnest and God would have been prophetically correct to have done that. But what fell, what glorious truth came down from heaven was God was not willing that any should perish but all should come to repentance. You see, the Gentiles, according to Ephesians 2, were without hope. That's kind of a lousy place to be. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. So God in His infinite mercy did something so glorious and so wonderful. He raised up the chief of sinners. He gave him a special revelation that had been hidden, God, concerning this present dispensation. And folks, it's not the same gospel. In the little bit of time we have left, I want to show that to you. Turn with me to Matthew 10. Matthew chapter 10. 
And then hopefully this will kind of bring it all together because it's so important that you understand these different ministries. And I can do it with a little bit of time left. Matthew chapter 10. Look at verse... So with verse 5. And these twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Don't go to the Gentiles. Go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Let them know that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's imperative? That they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. By the way, in the book of James, it leaves no doubt that if are any sick among you? Let him call for the elders. Let that elder anoint him with oil or her with oil. And does it say she, he might be healed? Possibly be healed? Shall be healed. Talk about the Pentecostal powers. Talking about the gift of healing. Talk about... That, that's all there in the book of James. Those powers still remain. But anyway, uh, cast out devils freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats nor shoes, nor yet stays for the workman is worthy of his meat. In other words, get out and share. What do you say? Tell them. And preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Go out to the Jews. Go out to Israel and preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Look at Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, real quick. Same scenario, same situation happening, same story, same characters written from a different perspective because this is Luke, that was Matthew. Christ had told them, go preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 9, we have them preaching what? Look at verse 6. And they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, in this present dispensation, what is the good news according to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4? Put that up there, Tim. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. The gospel. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, wherein you stand. Verse 2. which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures. Verse 4, And that He was buried and that He arose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Uh, the Gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That which I preached unto you according to Paul. So keep that in mind. 
That's the gospel we preach. I got into a conversation with a guy this week over, oh, there's, there's only one gospel. There's only one gospel today that we preach. Absolutely. That's the gospel of the grace of God that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. If you're preaching any other gospel than that, you're preaching the wrong gospel. But at this time, there was another gospel being preached. In Luke chapter 9, Christ says, go, and they went preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Look at Luke 18. Luke 18, almost done. Luke 18. Look at verse 31. Now I've had people say, no, no, they were preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. When they went preaching the gospel, that was the same gospel. They were preaching the gospel. They were preaching the gospel that Christ said in Matthew 14 was going to be preached into all the world and then shall the end come. Matthew chapter 24, I think around verse 13, it's the gospel of the kingdom. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. That's what gospel they were sent out to preach. But look at Luke 18, verse 31. Then he took unto him the twelve, and he said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. And he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spit on. And they shall scourge him, and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. And they said, hallelujah, haven't we been preaching that all this time? Is that what they say? And they understood none of these things. Don't tell me they're preaching the same gospel. They were preaching a different good news. They were preaching the good news of the kingdom. That's what James was preaching. That's what Peter's preaching. What Jude was preaching. Good news of the kingdom is what God was going to do on earth with his nation of Israel, his chosen people. Well, just like in the book of Acts last week, there's a whole lot more. Maybe next few years we'll get to all that too. But here's the important thing to know. The salvation that God's word is true. You're called to study it, believer. You're called to be Bereans, to search the Scripture, to see if what I've said today are true and accurate. And I encourage you to do that. As I've said so many times, challenge your preacher. He does not mind. He will not get mad. He will not fume and fuss. He might hug you. He might pat you on the back. I might even say you're right. That has happened. And I don't mind doing that. But here's the thing you need to know. In today's dispensation of the grace of God, God in His love and mercy is extending eternal life to all who believe heaven he is offering life eternal to all who by faith trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You don't have to be Jewish. 
you have to be Jewish or Gentile. But he's offering salvation based on that. Actually, that's, that's not entirely true. Based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, salvation is being offered to all of creation. All of creation is going to glory one day in what he accomplished on Calvary's cross. Even the angels look into this salvation. Now, I don't speak angel, but I know they got to go, wow. Wow. Because as we sing Amazing Grace, that's something they can't sing. Ask Lucifer. You can. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in that salvation that we have in Christ. Father, we rejoice in the truth of your word. And as we prayed last week, we pray again today. Help us to be students of your word. Father, I pray that not a single individual here will take my word for anything, but will become that Berean to search the scriptures daily to see if these things be so. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your calling on our lives. But oh, how we thank you for that salvation that we have in Christ, that hope of eternal life, that assurance of eternal life that we have in Christ. Now, Father, bless us this week as we leave here. Father, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for that life we have in Christ. Father, help us to remember that as we leave this building, we're entering the mission field. There's a lost world that's on its way to hell and that we need to be faithful proclaimers of that word of reconciliation, that truth that this lost world can be reconciled to God, but only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, make us bold in that presentation as we go about our duties and work this week. And we pray all of these things in the name of the one that every knee is going to bow to, every tongue is going to confess to. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, we pray.